Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, and thank you for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe today. We have an interesting show. We have a psychologist on but just not any psychologist. I'm glad I didn't say psychiatrist, but psychologist, right? I, we're not laying on any couches today. She is a psychologist for business. And more importantly, in the tech world and helping tech entrepreneurs and business leaders that are more kind of focused on the technical side of business, helping to become better communicators, better leaders within their organization. So on the show, I have Dr. Joni Connell, and she is gonna help us understand how companies can do a better job in making sure they're communicating not only to their customers, but internally to their staffs as well. Now, as you'll hear in the interview, uh, Joni is was an engineer who turned psychologist. So that's an interesting transition all the way along, and I think you're gonna find this fascinating. There's a lot of interesting insights that we're gonna to learn today about how to become better leaders, how to be better communicators, and to making sure that we create an environment where everybody is thriving within the organization. So don't go away. First of all, I'm gonna to talk to you about what it's like to work with a fractional CMO like myself. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture, realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit theponzigroup.com to learn more. As I mentioned, I have Dr. Joni Connell on the line today. She is going to be joining us, and we're going to have a great time really digging into a lot of great insights and recommendations and observations and all those other wonderful things that she's going to bring to the party today. So Joni, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you, Angelo. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, thank you for stopping by. It is morning time and I do have my cup of coffee. Um, sometimes I do these later in the evening and uh, my coffee becomes a glass of wine or a, <laughs> or a whiskey. But other than that, I am at the cafe today having a coffee. I wish I had a croissant. Um, because my, my wife's not around and she won't tell me not to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't we start off, put things in context for the audience. Why don't you tell them about yourself and your business and anything else you want to share to kind of kick things off? Sure. I'll give you a little background. I mean, I started out, uh, my first career was as an electrical engineer up in Silicon Valley. I say up because I'm down now in San Diego. Um, I worked as an engineer uh, designing circuits for several years and found that I was just much more interested in the people than the circuitry. And it took me several years, but over time, I decided to go back to graduate school and study psychology to become an organizational consultant. And that's what I've been doing for over 20 years since. Now i focus primarily on consulting to technical leaders and teams, but I, I work with all sorts of different folks and I help them communicate and uh, manage teams, develop leadership skills. And I love working with technical people, engineers, scientists, and other trades people uh, because I get them and they get me and it builds credibility. And um, I'm very analytical myself coming from an engineering background. And so uh, we tend to walk through sort of a tools-based approach to focusing on some of the softer things 
uh, which sometimes are uncomfortable for folks. So my company is Flexible Work Solutions, and it is a small company. We tend to partner with folks, bringing in larger groups as necessary for projects, do a lot of custom work for organizations. Um, and it's been really fun. I work a lot of virtual teams. I've been doing that for 20 years, way before the pandemic hit, but to also in person. So co- coaching, consulting, training, mostly that's pretty much it. Okay. You know, it's interesting. You said uh, way before the pandemic, you were doing it virtually as I had, had been doing it and same thing working remotely. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I actually, not that I'm endorsing the pandemic, but you know, I found during that time, it, it was just natural for me. It was just business as usual, um, where a lot of people were just panicking and how to communicate and the technology and being at home and, you know, close to the family or the refrigerator, depending on how, how you wanted to look at it. I talked to some people the other day that, you know, we're talking about putting on the COVID-19, you know, like the college uh, 15 or whatever that is. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But uh, yeah, refrigerator was was too close. So it was always close for me. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's not something I went to, you know, so engineer turned psychologist, not. Um, was that a big change? Was that like a natural thing? I mean, you know, I talk about tech speak and I've worked with technical people throughout my life. And, and, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because a lot of times like, do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I get the puzzled look quite often. Wow, engineer, psychologist, that's unusual. I've met a few in my lifetime, but not many. Um, was it natural? I think it is in a lot of ways because it's understanding how things or people work. And that's how I see psychology is understanding how people work and you know, fixing people, well, people kind of have to fix themselves more than you fixing them, which is an interesting conversation for engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, understanding what makes people tick, I do a lot of assessment work as well, helping to hire folks, um, decide if they fit the right, you know, the job. And so that's a lot of similar work as, as engineering. And I think one of the things that I bring to the table is I'm more systematic, data-driven than some other folks who approach psychology from a more therapeutic or um, feelings orientation. And so uh, I use tools and systems that are research-based, evidence-based, and uh, people appreciate that, especially in the technical world. Um, But it is different. It's a different side of the brain to really talk about empathy and understanding people and appreciating that. And having a foot in both worlds is, uh, you know, it's a fun place to be because I feel like a bit of a translator liaison communication specialist a lot. What, who typically brings you in? I mean, I I look at whether is the leader of the company from the technical side and, and they're having trouble communicating to other folks within their organization, or they're just, or a leader who's like, I'm talking to him, I'm not sure, you know, speaking the same language. How does it, is it chicken in the egg? How does that work for you to kind of get into the ideal client? Ideally, the technical leader will come to me because they realize they either have uh, a new opportunity, like a new team, or they're expanding and on their people leadership skills, or they're having a reaching a, a limit of their own training and development and saying, Hmm, I need to do something different and I need to learn how to do it. But more often it's somebody from the C-suite or a uh, director level calling me or an HR leader calling me saying we have this technical leader. It could be a scientist or an engineer or somebody else who's extremely valuable to the company, right? They, they're, they're so good. They are, um, we can't lose them yet. They're having trouble, uh, with X, Y, Z problem. It could be there. They got a team now and they are micromanaging and they just can't let go. They uh, are being very defensive in meetings and they're not, uh, taking feedback from anybody else. Uh, it could be, 
that uh, they are just so hands-on. They're not actually doing the leadership. They want to continue doing the work mm -hmm. themselves. So those are some of the typical problems. But it's better, of course, when the person acknowledges it themselves and reach out, reaches out. But um, sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, for any of us, not just technical people. Right. Well, to admit that that you have an issue, I think in general, right? Yeah. To say I, I don't. You know, I think from a lot of leadership, and I've dealt with a lot of folks in that, when you talk to them, they don't believe they have a problem, right? It's everybody else's problem. Mm -hmm. And and I would assume that's part of what you do is to get them to understand and, and how their role, and these are more soft skills, right? Yeah, I would say a lot of them are soft skills. You know, we have the business side and the people side and the technical side. I like to think of it as a three-pronged approach. Right. And you need all three. It's hard to find all three in one person. And so when you have three different people or two different people trying to focus on those three areas, you need to be able to communicate with each other. Well, I would think, too, having that kind of three three legged approach. Right. You need mm -hmm. if you only have two. The stool's going to fall over. Right. But that would help in your recruiting side is really looking at those three tools, if you will, of making sure the right person when you when you're helping to assist in maybe a hiring situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's often when you get to the leadership level, what makes or breaks a person uh, in that position is not just that there are skills and abilities as a leader and the, and the people side of it, but their willingness and openness to learn and take feedback and grow. Do you find that when you're brought in, there's resistance? Sometimes. Absolutely. I've had some leaders who are very resistant and that can take a while to build the trust. That's typically what it is and help them see the value of what um, what I'm providing to them and helping them understand that um, that there is a value to being able to change in that they don't have to be somebody new. And it's not necessarily a criticism of who they are. It's a development and who they can be and be even more uh, rather than taken away. So that's that's often um, the beginning when people are, are resistant. And the resistance shows up in a few different ways. It can be just people avoid talking to you, cancel meetings all the time. You know, when you have a, a session, it can be they want to see the data. Well, show me the data uh, that, that proves that I'm doing something wrong. You know, it can be skeptical. Oh, you know, what are you, uh, what are you offering? You know, what kind of tools are you using? Uh, you know, they don't seem like they really uh, are valid or, or have anything. And focusing on those kind of issues rather than the big picture of, you know, you've got a team of people who are struggling and they're underperforming. How can we help you and the team uh, improve? So almost I take it personally. When yeah, that happens, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting. You say, of course, the technical people go to the data. Mm -hmm. Show me, show me the data and trying to understand that, how you can use that where it isn't necessarily database per se, as much as performance based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes using the numbers helps a lot and helping to uh, look at the big picture like, okay, if this person leaves on your team, how much is that going to cost the company to replace them? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can use rules of thumbs like 150% or 200% sometimes, depending on the person uh, of their salary, right, to, to replace them. That can be very costly, not to mention the time and effort from the leader, from the team for interviewing new people and, you know, finding the right person. That can be a lot of effort. So they might realize, ooh, that's, that's pain. I don't want to lose them. I'm going to have to figure out a way to work with them. And maybe it's not all their fault. Maybe I can do something differently too. Um, and sometimes it's just helping them see the value of something. I guess uh, another perspective is the black and white side of things. You know, when you get to the data, it's either right or wrong. And when we're dealing with people issues or helping people get along better, there's a lot of gray area. And when you're looking at how people are interacting, who's right, who's wrong, it's not always that way. It's we have two different perspectives. And maybe there is no right answer, 
maybe the the best answer is for you to get along as a team. And it doesn't matter how you solve this particular problem. As long as you are all working together, there are multiple paths to get it done. So, so seeing that side of things as well, in addition to helping them see the numbers, but not it's not always numbers. It's not always black and white. There's sometimes it's the gray area as well. Do you work with the, um, like say, the person that you're working with, but I, I would assume you also work with their team to try to understand what's happening and from what those dynamics really are? Sometimes it depends on the engagement, but sometimes I work with a full team. Sometimes I work with the individual. Oftentimes when I work with an individual, I talk to other folks in the organization. Either I talk to them or they fill out some kind of a 360 degree feedback um, uh, online survey with getting uh, feedback from others in verbal form as well as numerical so that uh, we have the perspective of other people. Because when you uh, behave in a certain way, um, people see it uh, differently depending on where they are in the organization. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example, right? So if you are managing up, your leader might be looking for more business-oriented, uh, strategic approach to solve problems. When you're managing down to your team, they might be looking for more specific instructions on something and how to do it. And so you can say the same message and people will perceive it differently because they have different needs. So that's a lot of what we talk about, too, is perceptions. It's not just necessarily right or wrong. It's how people are perceiving and what their needs are and how to flex to meet those needs. Do you, do you get into working on language as far as, you know, that would seem to be how people not only say it, but the words and the choices that they use? I would imagine, again, depending on who you're talking to, those words have different meanings, right? Absolutely. You know, I I actually use language a lot because uh, I talk to, first of all, when you want to work with technical leaders, attracting their attention is is using their language, right? But also technical leaders need to use other people's languages when they want to reach outside of their organization. Now, in any field or expertise, we have our own words that we use, our our jargon, you might say. Mm. Business people have a lot of jargon. Technical people just seem to have, no matter what area of of software or um, chemical engineering, I mean, you walk into a room and you can barely understand what they're saying because it's like, I've got the XYZ working with the ABC on the MNO, you know, and you're just like, whoa, what is all that, you know, but uh, so realizing that they have to uh, find what uh, other people can understand and what relates to them, usually that's plain English or whatever language, you know, but very simple words rather than trying to get too jargony. Yeah, I would. It, yeah, you, it, you just freaked me out thinking of all the sessions I've been in. It's like, OK, I, I hear it. I don't understand the word you're saying. You're using acronyms that I don't I don't get. I was in a meeting um, with a new client, actually. Well, they're a couple they're a couple months old. It was interesting. They we engaged in early June but they didn't actually want me to start working directly with the team until July. And then we just actually had one of our first big meetings a few weeks ago. And when they were talking to me, the guy, he looked at me and he said, let me just, let me talk cars, you know, cars. I go, yeah, I know cars. (laughs) So I said, now imagine you're a Ford, you're a Chevy. And he literally, every time they got to a technical thing, he translated it into a car analogy, which was great. I understood the other side of the coin, but it was great that it was interesting because then when people on my team were reading the notes, they were saying, okay, I get this mm-hmm. versus I have no idea what that means. So uh, that's, that's really interesting. The, um, is there a, a particular process that you follow? I mean, is it an assessment first or is it, you know, conversation? I mean, how do you engage how do I engage with people? Typically, we have an introductory conversation. And usually when I'm working pe- with people one-on-one or even with teams, uh, it's important for there to be um, a mutually agreeable uh, relationship, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of chemistry, people call it. Um, and people have to uh, appreciate my approach, right? And I have lots of other coaches who take a different approach, but I tend to be more tools-based and um, that's one of the reasons why uh, I tend to work with a lot of technical people because they, they like that um, rather than more of a therapeutic approach and talking um, 
uh, things out. I mean, obviously we talk, but we have an introductory meeting and then usually there's an assessment and it could be multiple assessments. But the point is for me to understand them somewhat, but also for them to gain self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there might be the, the assessments on just some of their personality or skills or uh, where they are at, but also getting some feedback from people they work with. Because as I said earlier, these perceptions can be very different. And understanding the impact a person is having on others is so much of uh, the, the message that they need to hear. So we do the assessment, go through the feedback, and then we set up goals. And the goals can be usually two to three goals, not more, because that's that's too many. You know, we mm-hmm. work on a couple at a time. And uh, they often are uh, bigger picture goals uh, that sort of are themes that come back from the assessment work, something that can sort of the kill two birds with one stone kind of area, that, that kind of a, a goal. And it it might be that a person is finding that they um, have somewhat of a temper or they're lashing out at people and they're getting the feedback that they didn't realize that when they said something, it actually sounded harsh to other people Mm -hmm. and they need to manage that. And they might realize that figuring out what triggers that, you know, when are they getting the out of control response rather than a, you know, a, a positive response. And, and looking for that opportunity and, and then working through tools to, to understand that and manage the trigger could be an example of a, of a continued uh, coaching engagement. Teams, similarly, there are other kinds of dysfunction on teams. We have team 360s, we have team development approaches. And so usually we start with introductory, then an assessment, and then goals, and then we work through some number of sessions to uh, meet the goals, and then move on to the next or manage out if they are satisfied. Is there a cadence to this? Is this like a weekly occurrence? I it mean- depends. It really depends. I have found with individuals, uh, every two weeks is a good time, typically with busy leaders. Uh, teams, sometimes it can be um, once a month to have times to all get together. And there's always, oh, well, I would say homework, but it's really work work in between. There are assignments in between for them to apply what we we're talking about in the tools that we're using. Okay. And obviously, if there's a need, they can pick up the phone and give you a call. You're mm-hmm. not telling them to lay down on the, the virtual couch while you uh, analyze yeah. them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, you, uh, you, you wrote a book and you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the book you wrote, Flying Without a Helicopter. Okay. And so preparing young people for work and life. I mean, I, I, I've dealt with, with several authors and actually I'll call them experts. And, and now you're a new one for me as well. Um, the millennial whisperers, right. And how to, how to deal with, with this new workforce and, it, and it's funny that, you know, we, we spend a lot of time and, and people talk about, you know, they want, you know, candy and ice cream and bowling alleys and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think some of that is true, but I, I find that, that when I work with a lot of millennials, that it's, it's a just different style of working, right? And, and people don't understand it, I'll say from older folks that, you know, grew up working and 24 seven and, you know, your life was your job and blah, blah, blah. So talk about your book, talk about how you deal with, with, you know, dealing with management. That's I assume the management dealing with millennials and, and probably, you know, the Gen Z and everybody else is kind of coming along. Sure. Yeah. Angelo, uh, interesting way of putting it. They want candy and ice cream. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, so the book actually came out of my consulting work with leaders. And this was uh, the book came out in 2015. So it's a little bit before that, just finding there were so many complaints mm-hmm. from the leaders, so many challenges they had working with the younger generation. And there were complaints around um, entitlement. You know, we've all heard these these things that are sort of generalizations that people couldn't take feedback and the communication. Those were the three major ones. And at the same time, 
I had a daughter. I still have a daughter. She's now almost 20. Uh, but I saw what was going on at the younger phases of life and how parenting had shifted, how education had shifted. And there's so much more, I guess you would say, coddling of kids uh, today and reinforcing and rewarding children and focusing on the positive. Now, there's a lot I can go on and on about this, and I won't, Angelo, but in the book, it talks a little bit about it, about why this happened, some studies that were done back in the 80s, and people sort of took off with them to build self esteem, and um, how it not, wasn't necessarily uh, the best approach. But uh, our society shifted a lot. And also, there was, you know, a lot of other reasons, like, um, you know, 9-11, things like that, people got a little more afraid in our society. So uh, not to blame anybody. But the reason I wrote the book is because we found that these practices for raising young people to be more disempowered and dependent on people. And when they got to the workplace, they weren't ready to run on their own. And that's why it's flying without a helicopter, right? Mm -hmm. How to how to jump the nest, fly, fly the nest. And it explains a little bit about what people can do with younger folks um, earlier on to help them be more independent and empowered and be able resilient is another one, uh, but also to folks who are younger themselves, young adults and managers of this next generation. Now, I do uh, I have done a lot of workshops and trainings with organizations on cross generational leadership. Right. How do you manage people across different generations? That's been an ongoing issue. In fact, I mean, even just recently, I did another one uh, and I, it just keeps coming up. It doesn't it's not going away as we have these new generations coming into the workplace. And so to answer your ultimate question, Angelo, it's similar to technical leaders communicating to non-technical people. It's people of different generations communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. It is understanding how people were raised, how baby boomers were raised, why they have their values, why Gen X has their values and and millennials and Zs. And uh, having some curiosity about that and empathy, understanding rather than judgment and uh, dismissal of these different ways of being. And that's for everybody of every generation. Because I see a lot of ageism going in the other direction too, right? You know, some of these oh, younger folks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting that, you know, and, and probably 2015-ish, 16, I mean, that was kind of when a lot of stuff was just kind of bubbling up and difficulty in having this new generation come in and their demands and their, you know, sh- shortness uh, and timeframes of working mm-hmm. with a company in 90 days. It's kind of like, I think a statistic I read one time was like every 90 days, they were just flipping around. And, and they were seeking things that were ridiculous. But when I looked at and did some of the studies, it, it was typically, and I hate to say boomer, because I'm kind of in that realm, that <laughs> it was my generation, you know, pointing fingers and saying, well, you know, they're just not, they're, they don't work hard, they're not into the company, they're not doing all these things. And, to your, and you have a great point. It was the ability to communicate and to understand the differences and how to find that. And I find that today. And talking to people, it's it's I, I have three in in that generation, mm-hmm. and one's older and one's on the younger end. So one's closer to the beginning of that era, and the other one's closer to the end of that. And it's just interesting to see the dynamics. And to your point, uh, like the younger one, at the end of the day, he met directly and indirectly, he manages something like 150 people. Wow! And it's a lot. And he's and has been on the job training. I mean, there's no nobody took him aside and said, We're gonna teach you how to be a great leader. It's like he, he's learning under fires, reading books, and you know, made some some mistakes, we'll say, and and but he's learned from them. And and most of the people cross-generational, some are both younger than him, but they're actually people 20 years older than him that he has to deal with. And there's already a resentment of, you know. You're, you're young. You can't tell me you don't know. And, and actually my middle son just kind of ran into the same situation where he's now a leader in the company. And one of his direct reports is 20 years older, who's not happy, right? That he didn't get that job. Right. So there's a lot yeah. of interesting dynamics when you think about, you know, younger folks managing up versus we always think of managing younger, but now you're managing up and down. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But, it's but re- really interesting, huh? It is interesting. And that is a predicament. And it can be uncomfortable for the younger folks to, to manage up to. And even having that conversation is a good place to start. Like, wow, this is kind of weird. How are we going to do this? What, you know, what do you think would work well? Uh, what do I think would work well? Sometimes uh, just actually taking the elephant in the room and bringing it to the forefront and talking about it can be useful. Is there any, um, I'll call them success stories, you know, change the names to protect the innocent, but any success stories where, you know, it's a difficult situation and, and, you know, what you were able to do to make that change? Uh, yeah. Um, in terms of the different generations? Or, or, or the other one. Either, pick, pick, I oh, like, either okay. one, I like success stories. So Okay, great. Well, Absolutely. I love success stories. Let's see. Um, I have uh, a team that I worked with a couple years ago, a technical team. They were in the life sciences industry. And, you know, there were actually generational issues there as well as the technical issues of people not communicating well. And uh, the leader of the team um, had gotten this new team together who had gone through so much change. They were, there was so much dysfunction in the team. People weren't basically talking to each other. They were avoiding it at, at all cost. And what we did was uh, we uh, helped them go in and even just get the team in a room together. Now, this was um, virtually so a room is kind of like a Zoom room, like um, or or some other room you might have online. But uh, we were using a particular tool at that time and getting people to actually have the conversations and getting the feedback that they needed to build the trust. And it took six months for the team to work together and start to understand each other. Um, and some of the things that we did weren't necessarily um, you know, brain science, right? It's like having fun and games, having a little casual conversation. And they had never taken the time to do that. They were so task focused, which is very typical of, of technical people. We played some games. Uh, we had video interactions. A lot of times people were avoiding that, just using audio only. Um, and uh, had some honest conversations that was the other thing. We made a safe environment for them to have these conversations. And ultimately, the team got together and set up their own goals uh, to be uh, more uh, communicative and have meetings on their own without me. And they were having one-on-ones with each other, the people on the team. And it was just so empowering to see them walk away from this intervention with good relationships and positive ways of interacting. And if you look at the way they measured success in the organization, they actually uh, didn't have the numbers in terms of uh, quantity in terms of dollars, but they ended up being the leaders in the organization of this new way of being, of bringing coaches and presented to the entire organization and had the whole company uh, develop a new way of uh, managing teams. So that was a huge success story in there. It, it didn't have the, the numbers as much, but it had the impact and the reaction of the company. Uh, ultimately, what you were after. Yeah, listening to your story reminded me of a, one of my stories years and years ago uh, at an advertising firm. And we were about 85 people. And, and I was uh, probably very aggressive as a, as a youngster and had some conflicts with, um, I won't say that senior leadership, but kind of the middle management leadership. And I remember complaining to my boss one time, and he basically said, called us both into his office and said, you two go across the street to the cafe and don't come back until you work out your differences. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, that was uncomfortable. Um, But we did actually, and we ended up having a good relationship. But you know, we we're just put in that situation to be honest and direct with each other versus, mm-hmm. you know, complaining you're walking down the hallway, which you hear all the time. One of my clients a couple of years ago, when I started getting involved, I was there for marketing, but they also had me overlook the sales department. Why? Because sales and marketing, which 
what we always were, were fighting and trying to figure out where the problem was and not that that was technically my job, but I needed to understand how, how these, you know, seven people in one department, 12 people in another department, and there was just this conflict going back and forth. And after a few months in, in looking at workflow and where the, the hiccups came, I mean, I was able to trace it down to, frankly, two individuals. Mm-hmm. And then we figured out a way to get them to, to play nice together, play in the same sandbox. I would say I, I had a meeting with them all and I said, look at we're all going to play in the same sandbox together. But the first thing we need to do is get all the cat turds out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's so funny because um, technical folks tend to be extremely bright. You know, I mean, a lot of folks are in, in uh, organizations, but sometimes it's just really quick, too. It doesn't have to take a long time for people to understand what they need to do differently. I actually had a conversation with somebody, one of my clients. It was 20 minutes it took for them to make a huge change in their behavior, which had a big impact. Uh, he had just started at a new organization, a different company, as, as a technical role. And there was somebody else who was one of his peers. And it seemed like they they were tasked with some of the overlapping responsibilities. And so uh, this other person who was at the VP level, he was not um, really being accessible or, or treating the person well, at least in his his eyes, right? And so I we just had this conversation about, well, um, do you want to work with this person? And he, and he said, yes. I said, well, have you told him that, how much you value his input? And he said, no. And I said, well, why don't you go and have that conversation? And he literally had the conversation right after our call because he happened to have that meeting scheduled anyway. And he said that they had a 30-minute meeting. It went for an hour because they got so engaged and they were so grateful to actually hear that they appreciated each other, they wanted to work together, that they kept talking for another half an hour and then they went on. So it doesn't have to be you know, major intervention. It can be something small, just like you said, communicating, Angelo. So much of it comes down to that. Yeah, it really does. I did a podcast not too long ago on active listening. And, and I, and I mm-hmm. believe that's a major problem with people in general is they don't really listen. They, they're anticipating their next move in a sense is, you know, you, somebody's talking and they're not thinking about, let me ask the next question. I'm interested in what you're saying. It's I, I'm interested in telling you how I can relate to it for my own story. And mm-hmm. I find that in, especially in meetings, when people aren't really digging in and asking questions, but just kind of really just telling stories because they want to be involved. But at the end of the day, I, I just think, well, you weren't really listening to me. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so it's, that's always, that's one of my pet peeves. It's like, we're having a conversation, not we're not swapping stories. Right. Right. I, I would absolutely agree. Listening is, is key. Also sometimes expressing yourself, Sometimes, especially technical folks, think it's obvious. Well, it's obvious that uh, you know I want to work with them. Well, it isn't necessarily. Like in this case, I was just telling you about the mm-hmm. other guy thought he was trying to take over some of his work, but when he actually articulated, no, 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 I want to work with you because I value your input. That's a whole different approach. And if the other person hadn't listened, like you said, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a new book coming out. I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, you're working on it. And you're, I think you said you were scheduled sometime in the fall or January, something like that. January. Yes. Yep. So this is a book more uh, working with the technical folks. It's called um, Consulting to Technical Leaders, Teams and Organizations, Building Leadership in STEM Environments. And it's published with the American Psychological Association. It's part of the Consulting Psychology Series. Nice. So it's, it's, uh, it's coming out January. It's already um, in, in press, I guess you would say. They're, they're putting it out there. It takes a while uh, to go through all the steps, but uh, it should be coming out in January. Well, I, I, I mean, it, it's really interesting, and I want to just ask you a few more questions about that. However, I have to say, it doesn't have the catchy title that your other one does. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a little more on the academic side. <laughs> it's like, Wow. Maybe we can create an acronym from that, and, and you oh, know, funny that uh, we might be able to to utilize. But but uh, yeah, because you know, flying without helicopter, I saw man, I love that, and I get it. This one, I'm going, 
consulting with technical leaders, transforming technical leaders to managers. And it's like, wow. But yeah, to your point, it's more of a scientific uh, technical paper uh, and psychology. Uh, so anyway, I'm just jesting, of course. <laughs> what what inspires you every morning? What inspires you when you wake up? Oh, great question. For me, it's more about the impact than anything. And over the years, I've come to realize that that my impact can be small. Uh, it can be with one person at a time. And uh, it needs to be positive impact, not just any impact, right? Because I don't want a negative impact. Mm -hmm. But um, anything I can do to help somebody feel uh, happier, more successful, or be more successful at their work. I do things, I actually do career uh, coaching as well. So I work on just people finding the right fit. Um, and I work with people in organizations to make big changes to help solve bigger problems, you know. Uh, so um, for me, it inspires me to just help people uh, be more successful at what they're trying to do. Okay. I mean, as a, as a psychologist, do you, do you actually take, you know, patients outside of, of dealing with organizations or is that strictly your focus? Now, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, not a clinical okay. psychologist. So I do not do therapy. I refer out. I know a lot of therapists. So when people find that they need something more, uh, more serious in that domain, I definitely refer out. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. If, if you could, I, I, I know we're kind of starting to come to an end here. If you could... Um, be speaking to my audience and maybe two or three pieces of advice or things that they should look for that are triggers that, that might be something that they should think about contacting you about. Sure. So uh, your audience might be business people who are interested in working with technical people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that would be my second book, you know, on how to consult the technical people. And that would be if you're trying to attract their attention and you're not getting it um, or um, you, you want to up your game to be more accessible to technical folks, here are some ways that you can do that, some specific techniques to be more, um, more approachable to them as well as more desirable. Uh, I find a lot of technical people uh, sort of have some insider kind of approach. They are skeptical of, of outsiders. So learning to t uh, speak their language. Uh, so that's that's one thing. Um, if you're already in, in a technical organization and, and uh, you're finding that some of the technical leaders are having challenges, um, looking for uh, complaints from people around them, looking for if folk, people are saying that they're being micromanaged or there's a conflict in the teams, and if the uh, the team leader is not necessarily looking for someone to help them, usually uh, I'm a good person to come in to help them understand how they could benefit from developing some of these skills. Okay. Have yeah. you ever worked with, I just, just thought of this, have you ever worked with like a technical recruiting firm that that, you know, people are coming to, to hire technical folks and, you know, they're kind of bringing you in, they narrow it down, they're down to the top three candidates, let's say, and they say, okay, I just really want to understand these people, not from their technical skill standpoint, but from their personal and their soft skills and find the right person and have kind of a, a session with you to say, you know, this person is going to be a little more difficult because blah, blah, blah. That yeah, absolutely. Happened? Yeah, I do assessment work. So uh, that can be using different tools to augment the process from an, an objective perspective, as well as interviewing. We have, I mean, my whole team, I have others as well who help me with that um, a structured interview process to help understand them. And there are a couple different things. One is, do they have some of the, the skills? Do they have the openness? Um, and are they the right fit for the organization? You know, some environments require people to have different uh, sort of approaches and appreciation for type of work being done. I mean, some organizations are very competitive and ruthless. Some are very supportive and mm -hmm. uh, inclusive, you know, so depending on the organization and there's a fit factor as well. 
Uh, could be interesting. I, I'm just thinking from a strategic standpoint for recruiting firms, if there's any recruiting firms listening today, mm-hmm. that you become you know, a value add to them, an, a, another mm-hmm. value added service that they could offer their clients. And um, sounds like it, you know, it might make a lot of sense because there's so many times I hear, I talk, I have recruiting friends and they'll say, yeah, I placed somebody and, you know, 30 days later, they're getting canned because they didn't do the job or whatever it happens to be. And they just maybe didn't understand some of the personality stuff were versus looking at the resume, so to speak. Yeah. And it also helps because I mean, a lot of companies now are trying to hire so many people, they Mm -hmm. run out of time and resources. And so, you know, getting an external person to help with that uh, can take their help them save time and be more efficient. But it also focuses on some of the things a lot of the folks in the organizations, especially in technical organizations, focus on the technical piece. And they bring in the people side too late. Yeah, so that's where I can help. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think my last question, then, I mean, this is your business. I mean, you get up every day and you're servicing your clients, but you also have to keep your business going. So what keeps you up at night when you think about growing your business? Oh, business development. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Getting new clients is always uh, what keeps me up at night. And uh, that's because, you know, as I think a lot of people fall into this trap, you know, I I love what I do. I love uh, engaging with clients. I'm, I feel like I'm really good at that uh, in terms of going out and selling, you know, that's where I uh, look for others to help me and, and do some of the marketing. Um, but it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, doing this podcast is kind of interesting too. talking about myself for all this time is, is uncomfortable for me. I'm used to listening and helping <laughs> others, not myself. So that's, that's the challenge for me. Well, look at it this way. You're helping all my listeners maybe think about their organizations and maybe some of the conflicts they might have in them because it does happen. I mean, even my last ad see that I worked for, they bought my company, they put us together. We formed a new agency and now I'm working with new people. And at the senior level there, there was conflict unlike I had ever seen before because it was like, well, I was a senior leader in my company and now I'm number four on the list instead of number two. And, you know, why did you get it versus, you know, we had all that kind of dynamic stuff going around, get outside of the capabilities. They're fantastic, but the personality started to mesh. And I mean, in, in eight years that, you know, they never really evolved to, you know, a a very great place to work in a sense. There was always Mm -hmm. conflict for some reason or another. And, And uh, I wish I knew you then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. This has been really interesting. Um, I'm not sure. I I think you're, you're pretty unique for one of my guests after all this time. And, and it's really insightful because there, I think a lot of times companies don't really address the, the issues at hand. They see them. I mean, I had a client when the client I was talking about earlier, when I pointed out the absolute problem people and they would have conversations with them and a week later, they'd be doing the same thing. And, yeah. and management was not, they, they were more concerned about that person leaving and their skill set than they were about the conflicts and the issues that were being caused inside. And I always said that that is ultimately going to be a big problem. Yeah. I mean, that's when we get into some of the, the figures and convincing people that keeping somebody who's valuable, um, who's having a negative impact on the rest of the organization or a big part of it is, is really problematic and costly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this has been great. I want to thank you so much for your time. Why don't you tell the listeners how they can uh, reach you and, and uh, your website, your LinkedIn, all that good stuff. Sure. Thanks, Angelo. This has been a pleasure. Uh, you can reach me at flexibleworksolutions.com. That's my company. I also have a podcast, reinventingnerds.com, and Angelo um, is a, a guest. He had a great episode on marketing, so you can go to reinventingnerds.com as well. And LinkedIn, just look for Joni Connell. Uh, you can find me there. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I had a few folks email me and said, I didn't know you were a marketing nerd. 
Yes. <laughs> I go, well, you know, what? I've been called other things. So <laughs> I'll take hey, that that's, one. That's a, a term of affection and, and great respect. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I really enjoyed being on your show. It was a lot of fun. And um, so I'm glad we can do this kind of reciprocal thing. And, and, I, and I appreciate it. It's, it. I know we both enjoy the doing the podcast. It's you, you get to learn a lot of things. I mean, for me, it's about education. I mean, I learn just as much as my guests do. And, and so I do appreciate the time that you take out of your busy schedule. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be seeing each other in some of the networking meetings that we belong to. Thank you, Angelo. All right. Take care. Joni, I want to thank you again for stopping by the cafe today. This has been a really great conversation. And you, the listeners, have learned. If you haven't heard me on uh, Joni's podcast, you need to look that up as well. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and also links to her information as well. I'm glad you could join us today. And thank you for stopping by. If you're a subscriber to the show, I want to thank you. I really appreciate you continuing to listen. And if you're new to the show or it, maybe it's your first time here, I encourage you to sign up to make sure that you get notified when we have new shows about all the great content that we have. As I have mentioned in previous shows, we're into our just coming out, heading towards our, actually, I'm in my fourth year now that I think about it. I just turned the corner. I am in my fourth year. There's 150 plus shows, a lot of great information. You can backtrack, you can listen to these, and and frankly, skip watching Netflix. Forget about all that stuff. Just listen to me on the podcast. So I encourage you to do that. You can go to my website at theponzigroup.com or you can go to the Business Growth Cafe or frankly on any podcast platform you like to listen to, you can find the Business Growth Cafe. So thank you again for stopping by. I look forward to seeing you and talking to you next week here on the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.